Good morning, Northview, and, and welcome to all our friends who are joining with us this morning. It's Easter Sunday, and we start out with the declaration, He is risen. And at home you would say, He is risen indeed. That little phrase probably carries more depth and significance this year with all the things we're going through with the whole COVID-19 plague. But I love the immediacy of the moment. As a matter of fact, I see it as an inspiration by the Holy Spirit that last year, when we started this series in Mark, I selected titled The Gospel of Immediacy because it's a word that Mark loves and uses a lot in his gospel. <clears throat> Just how crazy is that? And what I like about this gospel is that it's no longer this, you know, kind of it's out there, it's somewhere in the future, this theoretical, I'll think about it when I'm ready to die sort of thing. It's now immediate. Hey, are you right with the Lord? Do you know Jesus? Well, you better pay attention to that now because you might not be here in two weeks. It changes the focus. It makes it immediate. And here's what I mean by that. Although we don't have all the pageantry, you know, the, the things we love and appreciate about Easter celebrations, all that outward stuff has been stripped away. What we have is the guts of Easter. The core of the message remains intact, that God has provided eternal life through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus. Behind me, you see the shattered throne. This is where we left off on Friday night, good Friday. It's a representation of what happened to the king of glory on that cross. Isaiah tells us that he was crushed, shattered for our sins. Jesus hung on that cross for the sins of the world. Your sins and my sins. The Bible is very clear in stating the purpose of Good Friday and its link to Easter Sunday, that in Jesus there is forgiveness of sins, and that through Jesus there is a way to heaven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Jesus said this about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Peter said of this, in, of Jesus in his first sermon, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This underlines the fact that the need for a Savior is real and it's immediate. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of what Jesus has done, we have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. That in Jesus, in his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, 
we have the revelation of God's mystery, which, in, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And that if Satan had known what would have actually come out of it, well, he didn't. For none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's give glory to the Lord, the Most High God this morning, for what he's done for us, and pray to him while he still can be found. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about seventy-five pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they had laid Jesus there.
Good morning, Northview, and everybody else joining us this morning. We welcome you. We're so glad to have you with us as we simply celebrate our resurrected Lord this morning. So we invite you right where you are. Sing out with us as we sing praise to a risen Lord together this morning. Join us.
Uh, amen. Lord, you are so good. We celebrate you this morning. We offer you our best praise for you are good and you are a risen Lord who is alive and moving today. We thank you so much just for who you are, for your beauty, for your resurrection, for your son, and for your gift of salvation to your children. Ah, Lord, we love you so very much. We ask that your spirit move and unite us together as one body, one church, this morning through the power of your spirit. Be with us and work through and among us this morning, we pray. All God's people at home say, amen. Thank you, everybody, for getting us to this point. Let's pray this morning before we get into the word. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. Gives us great hope to know that you're not limited by the things that we're up against. And also, Father, gives us great hope because we know that although we're scattered in our, in our homes or our apartments, our places, and that we can't be together physically, we can be together in spirit because your Holy Spirit is not limited by distance or time. And so we can have the sense of your presence together and unity while we think through your word. And so we ask for your favor this morning. Lord, we bless you. Thank you for what you've done on Good Friday and what you've done on Easter and the power of that story. May it grip many in this period of our history. And we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, well, today is important, not just because it's Easter, uh, but also it will be our last time in the Gospel of Mark. It's been a significant series. God has spoken clearly, and we've been benefited greatly from our time in it. You'll note in your Bibles that there is what is known as the longer ending in Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20. And we're going to leave that off this morning. Um, it appears that it's a summary of some of the post-resurrection appearances, and it was added at a later time. And although not inaccurate, uh, it's not found in the earliest manuscripts. You can study that and look that up on your own and, and go through and see what it says. But we're just going to go through uh, Mark this morning, verses 1 through 8. So take your Bibles. Uh, we're starting in Mark chapter 16. I'm reading out of the ESV version, and it reads like this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's look at this together. Starting in verse 1, it reads like this. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Again, in, we, we run into a lot of Marys, right? 
So here we have Mary Magdalene, of whom it said that Jesus had cast out seven demons. Uh, Mary, the mother of James. This would be James the Less. Uh, and he was also the brother of Joseph. James was one of the original 12 disciples, so that would be his mom. And then Salome, we've seen her before. Uh, she was sister to Mary, Jesus' mother. And she was also mother to James and John. And so these three women are coming together early in the morning. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I said we shouldn't be surprised by the overlap of names, really. They had a lot of common names, just like we do today. And so uh, that's just part of the culture. Mary, Jesus' mother, is probably incapacitated with grief at this point, and she doesn't show up in the text. Because of the lack of time uh, and the timing of the crucifixion, uh, Jesus was hastily buried, and these ladies were coming to anoint him now that the Sabbath was passed. And so it goes on to say this, And the very early, in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? So at daybreak, that would be about six in the morning, give or take, right? They approached the tomb with the big question, how do we get in? They know where they were going. They just didn't have any idea how they were going to accomplish what they wanted to do. And I think the assumption was kind of hoping or assuming somebody would be hanging around that could help them. Maybe a gardener, maybe some passerbys. It's obvious uh, from the text that the size of the stone, that even with their combined strength, they wouldn't have been able to budget. It was one of those, uh, you know, real life, real times kind of dilemmas. They knew how to get there. They just didn't know what to do once they get there. And then it says this, and looking up, that would be as they're coming up to the entrance of where the tomb was, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back and it was very large. These large stones were often located on an earthen ramp and held in place by a wedge. So they'd build a ramp. The stone would be up here. They'd put a wedge in, and it would hold the stone in place until it was needed uh, when a burial was, had taken place. And then when the grave was used, when the tomb was occupied, they would kick the ramp out, and the stone would roll down that trough and then seal itself against the mouth of the tomb. Uh, the sense here of the word is that it was rolled back if somebody had just kind of pushed it uh, out of the way. John's gospel has the effect of saying it was kind of picked up and tossed aside. The women were probably somewhat alarmed and taken back that the stone was out of place, and it says they entered with apprehension. If you're trying to identify with this emotionally, I think you would get it. Um, it would carry the same sense as if you came home and found the front door wide open when you knew that it had been locked when you left. You would enter in with apprehension. That's the feeling or tone that you get here. Then it says this. In entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. The young man is clearly an angel. Angels often appeared in human form throughout the Bible, and some of the texts have one angel appearing, some two. And you can tell by their response that it's an angel because they're alarmed. You're not alarmed of another person, but this had something to it that alarmed them. First off, the question in their minds must have been, what's he doing here? And second question, where's Jesus? It goes on to say this. And he said to them, 
Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And sure enough, they looked to where he was pointing. No Jesus. At least not where he was supposed to be. Now, just stop for a second. All right, think this through together. And again, here's where I would say that knowing the end of the story wrecks the whole thing for us because it takes all the drama and tension out of the story. As we're sitting there, this, as you're sitting there this morning, listening to me, you're going, okay, let's stone roll the way. Yep, check. Angel, check. Jesus gone. Yep, check. Cool. What's for lunch? Right? It doesn't have any thrust or impact on us. We're just checking through a, a list of details. But the historical and real life impact can be easily missed. And I know this. I grew up with this story, and I treated it that way, as a story. Cool story, but not as cool as real life. I'm sure it must have been important, and I'm sure it was supposed to have some kind of impact. But man, that happened a long time ago. Are these people even real people? But in real time, it was anything but that. He is risen? What in the world was that supposed to mean? And also notice this. The first thing the angel says is what? Don't be alarmed. He's trying to calm them. Obviously, this had to be an overwhelming situation for the women. They, the women, were, as we would say, freaked out. How do I know that? Well, look at the next verses. The angel said, But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The angel as clearly and as gently as he possibly could, was trying to give them some instructions to help them that was really important information that needed to be passed on to the disciples. Their reaction, they didn't just walk away. They didn't stroll. They didn't sashay, right? Come, ladies, it's time for tea. It wasn't that at all. No, what does it say? It says they fled they bolted. They were thunderstruck. What in the world just happened? It hit them faster than a coronavirus. Look at the words, trembling, astonishment, being afraid. It says that it seized them. They were literally in its grip. If we were to put that into modern language, we would say that they had an adrenaline hit, baby, right? Uh, if you've ever been in a car accident and, and the moments instantly after the accident where the adrenaline rush shoots through your body and you're so shook up, you can't comprehend straight and you're shaking, you'd have some idea of what these ladies were experiencing. In the moment, in the paralyzing grip of this experience, uh, it says that they went back and they didn't tell anyone. Why? Simple. People are going to think we've lost our minds. It shouldn't be taken that they never told anyone. 
we know that that isn't true. It should be taken that they were so rattled that it took them some time, it took them a few moments to collect their thoughts and, and get their act together. From the other Gospels, we know eventually they told the disciples. And then Peter and John ran to the tomb and pretty much had the same experience. Why do you think it was Peter and John who responded? Have you given that some thought? Out of all the disciples? Because when the ladies did tell the story, the words of the angel had to strike Peter like an anvil. I'm pretty sure Peter thought at this moment of his life, his ministry career, he was out. He knew what he had said. He, had knew, he knew what he had done on Good Friday. And from his perspective, he was out. Why, if he's, if he's going ahead, if he's going to meet us in Galilee, why, that would mean that he's really alive. Like, he told us that before. How would they have known that information? No way. I saw him crucified. He has to be in the tomb. The women are crazy. How could they have possibly known that? Now Peter and John are having the same adrenaline hit that the ladies had. Utter astonishment. The resurrection is designed to do that. That's exactly what the story is designed to do. Let us experience with the same adrenaline hit as the women and Peter and John experienced. To bring this home, I thought it would be really good to bring in a famous theologian to help us understand. So I'd like to quote from Michael Jr. Now, some of you will be laughing right now if you know who Michael Jr. is. Uh, If you don't know who Michael Jr. is, uh, he's a black comedian who's a Christian and has just got a great sense of humor. And he does a skit on how the world works according to comedy or, um, or through a comedian's eyes. And he says, see, the goal of comedy is to get everyone flowing in one direction. And he says that's called the setup. And what the comedian does is uses his or her talents and resources, and pieces the story together so that everybody goes and arrives at the same place together. And then, to create laughter, they pull it in another direction that is not expected by the audience. That's called the punchline. So you have the setup, and then you have the punchline. And if it's done successfully... The audience will experience three things, he says. Revelation, fulfillment, and joy. And it'll be expressed in laughter. And I realized listening to him, that's at, that is exactly what the Gospels are. They're stories that set us up for the punchline. Everything from the intro to the cross is the setup. It gets us all flowing and thinking this way. And the resurrection is the punchline. Something that happened that nobody expected. And when we get it, we experience revelation, fulfillment, and joy. To close, I'd like to quote from another famous theologian, my mom. When my mom passed this last fall, several of us went to the house and 
on the counter written on a piece of cardboard on a cereal box that my mom tore out, we found this quote written. It says this, Wash your hands and say your prayers, because germs and Jesus are everywhere. I love how this fits the immediacy of the moment. Does anybody doubt that germs are everywhere right now? No, not at all, right? But do we get the punchline? So is Jesus. And when we get it, we realize revelation, fulfillment, and joy. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, my great prayer is that I'm just the messenger and that your Holy Spirit is the empowerer of this message and it will touch people in living ways, that it will hit the refresh button for a lot of people, that it will bring them back to when they first came to know Christ and that first love and rekindle that in this present time, in this present darkness. And then, Lord, for those who have never gotten it, who don't know that the power of your Spirit would illuminate their hearts and bring them to the truth of your living presence. We seek you, Lord, that many who've never even heard of you, don't even know your word, your name is a swear word, will come to know you in a living faith. We pray that as people experience fear, as they experience astonishment, as they experience um, terror in what's going on in our culture, that you will use all the trip levers that you've planted in their life that they don't even know are there. And Lord, we pray for us who know you. May we have your joy. May we have your contentment. May we have trust. May we be solid for such a time as this. May this be one of the greatest Easter's in the history of the world. And we ask this in your name. Amen. We're going to turn it over to the worship team and uh, wrap up this morning. Would you stand at home and would you join us in worship together? Thank you, Steve. All of you at home, as you're able, we invite you to your feet as we go out singing this morning. We're going to go out on a note of fun, celebration. So sing out, have some fun with us. If you're still singing as you're able, come on, stand with us. Let's have some fun. I was buried beneath my shame. Till I met you I was breathing but not alive All my failures I tried to hide It was my tomb Till I
just for who you are and what you have done. God, you are a good God and we offer you all the praise and all the glory and we are just here to celebrate you this morning. Thank you for this time we've had of joy and fun. Thank you for the gift of music. God, we just love you so very much. We offer it all up to you and praise. All of you at home this morning say, amen. As we wrap up for this morning, we, uh, it's not our normal practice to have questions and uh, prayer points, but we thought, well, Easter, we can't go anywhere anyway, so we might as well do them like we've been doing them. And um, what we would suggest is that you may want to eat your Easter dinner and then maybe come back, or you may want to do them right away and then eat. You guys choose which will work best for you. But here's the questions that we've put together for this morning's message. Number one. How would you have reacted if you were going to be, if it was you going to the tomb and you saw the stone rolled away? Number two, how would you have reacted if you looked and realized that Jesus' body was missing? You actually looked and there was nothing there. Number three, do you think you would have been stunned, as stunned as the women by the appearance of the angel? How, how would you react if an angel showed up and talk to you. Number four, would you have told anyone? Would you have a tendency to stuff it? Some of us are introverts, and, or would you have had a tendency to blurt it out? Some of us are extroverts. Which, which one, and who would you have told? And number five, 
How would you have tried to explain what had happened to the body? What would the discussion have been? Then the prayer points for the morning. Number one, let's pray that all the messages that go out for Easter, right? There's churches doing this all over the country. Um, Let's pray they're energized by the Holy Spirit with God's power. Let's just pray it's not words. I love in Samuel where it says, none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. Let's pray that none of these messages fall to the ground, but that they produce fruit this Easter. Number two, let's pray that many come to a saving faith and ask Jesus into their heart and ask them to ask him to save them. That that will be this actual relational connection, this this confrontation, this this con- this place where they recognize they've got to deal with their relationship with Jesus. Number three, let's pray for God's supernatural deliverance from COVID-19. God knows how to handle plagues, and let's ask him to do so. And then number four, again, let's praise and be grateful and give thanks to God for the incredible genius of his plan and be in awe of his supernatural power to resurrect from death and to provide eternal life for us. Let's not take that for granted. Let's give just uh, a hands of praise to the Lord this morning as we're meeting in our homes. Have a blessed Easter, and we hope to see you in the near future. Thank mm-hmm. you.